broadcasting live from the Winthrop House. You're now listening to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. morning good evening you are now listening to the safe negro podcast show the podcast hosted by black people obviously <laughs> where we distrust the hit hbo show lovecraft country and tonight today we are discussing the fourth episode a history of violence mm-hmm. but first off it's your boy DJ Ben, I mean, sitting here in the captain's chair tonight. But I'm joined by Tatiana King, the Grand Duchess of Tech. And Portia Patterson, a.k.a. Um, no Magical Protection over here. Ooh, Ooh. Okay. Once again, Portia Patterson has come with the AKAs while me and Tatiana are aka yes. <laughs> We're lacking. We are lacking. That's okay. Yes. That's okay. For those who know from the Fall Nerd Show, we are usually all AKAs, but this is the Safe Negro Podcast Show. And for our loyal listeners, we have a new format tonight. Mm -hmm. In the idea that most of you have already seen every episode that we are covering, Mm -hmm. we do not want to sit there and run through each and every bit of the episode. For one, it takes so much time, and you've already seen it. You don't need our descriptions of it. So we're going to give you a basic rundown of the plot very quickly, and then we will hit you with some of the major themes, some of the character arts, mm-hmm. our feelings on this show, some Easter eggs, all that good stuff. Everything you know about the Safe Negro podcast show. Don't worry right, about right, that. Right, 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 right. Jokes and all that ain't going nowhere. <laughs> the joke's going to fly. Yeah, they're going to fly. <laughs> but, you know, we just want to save some time. Save y'all time. Don't waste anybody's time. Do it right. Do it tight. So we're here. So tonight, first up, it's a history of violence directed by Victoria Mahoney, mm. teleplay by Misha Green, story by Wes Taylor. And we have a basic plot breakdown, which is, somebody want to let them know? Sure. So in this episode, Letty, Tick, Hippolyta, Montrose and Tree, every last black person on the South Side of Chicago headed to Boston to break into the Braithwaite vault. Um our very great friend Christina shows up because if you remember, she talked about wanting some pages from the Winthrop house or she thought it was in the Winthrop house, but she wanted some special pages out of the book of names to increase her power and her arms race against the other lodges, the other sons of Adam. Um, Christina is in big beef with the other lodges. And while that's happening, Christina is looking for allies in our, in our favorite characters here. So she actually approaches Ruby this episode with an offer that she may not be able to refuse. Um, And so she approaches Ruby as she approaches. Well, it's it. I was going to get to that, but it's it's, it's an interesting reveal because she approaches Ruby with some big, big grace and energy. Mm. Uh, She shows up as uh, William, uh, as, as we think is happening that she, she, she's transfigured into William. Um, and, you know, she offers some, a Ruby uh, a choice or, or we're thinking she's offering her a choice. Um, but really, we know that she is trying to get Ruby on her side to get what she wants, which is ultimately more power. Um, Letty Tick and Montrose do a journey to the center of the earth slash Indiana Jones type of venture uh, to get into the vault. 
and they end up finding a wormhole tunnel back to Chicago. Uh, Hippolyta figures out that something is not right. She knows that people have been lying to her every day, all day when it comes to the death of George. So she decides to head on up to the Braithwaite Manor. Did we miss anything? Um, well, there, there's plenty of details that we're going to go into, but yeah. generally that's it. That's a great breakdown. Thank you very much. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and well done and well delivered. You know, I like the big degradation energy right there. <laughs> and, um, okay, so like we said, the title of this episode references a graphic novel and film, A History of Violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Cronenberg did the film. I don't know who did the graphic novel because, honestly, it's gross and grotesque, and I would not recommend it to anyone. Mm. It ends horribly. But Cronenberg, in doing his film, said that his title, A History of Violence, has three levels. It refers to a suspect with a long history of violence, Mm -hmm. to the historical use of violence as a means of settling disputes, and to the innate violence of Darwinian evolution in which better adapted organisms replace those less able to cope. Which, folks, I think is a lot of this episode and series (laughs) and life in America. Um, but how did y'all feel about it? First of all, how overall, how did you feel about our fourth episode of Lovecraft Country? Right. I'm a little conflicted because um, when I first went through it, I was just like, okay, this felt very goofy. Mm. Um, I realized, though, because of you mentioned the, the Indiana Jones influence, that I was probably very much on purpose. For anyone who's ever watched like Raiders of the Lost Ark and all of the, you know, all the, just all of that type of, uh, I don't know what that type of movie is called when it's like you're trying to find a hidden treasure, like all Hope that. Adventure. Okay. Yep. That Laura Croft slash, slash stuff, yep. like it, it's always like kind of just tropey and goofy things happening all throughout the film. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's just within that genre. Um, so this time you do see that happening a lot from when uh, you, you get those areas where uh Letitia is arguing with Atticus and Montrose and it's just like this is not the time or the place for that <laughs> like like I saw that happening a lot where she would just be hollering at them and and rightfully so and sometimes because because yeah. Montrose and Atticus would be just squabbling amongst themselves meanwhile they're literally in a life or death situation and Letitia is just like what the fuck are y'all doing let's go and that that would happen frequently throughout this episode um just just People just arguing where there's like no time to be arguing, no time to be talking about decide shit. Be you know stick with the main thing. Uh, so that was happening a lot. So like I said, I, I thought it was kind of goofy, um, and 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 it was the the tone was different from the previous episode. So I think that's also what threw me off. But once I put together, and that's what we're going to talk more about. Once I put together the the themes of the episode and all the references, I'm like, okay, now I understand why they decided to go this route. Yeah, for me, I like, I don't know. I looked at the, the tone of it and I was like, that being different, like you mentioned, like it did throw me off. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting for them to go on an upper trajectory into like, let's look at racism even more and like all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but I don't know. I just, I didn't know what I expected, but I wasn't expecting this. Yeah. And it wasn't really like, I knew like from the book that they were going to have to end up going to the vault sooner or later. Right. And I was hoping that some things would come into play, I guess, from the books that did not, which, you know, I try not mm-hmm. to do that. But there's some things I'm, I was thinking like, oh, maybe we'll get the ledger and that'll be part of the like background or something. 
Um, so I don't know. I'm just kind of looking out for what's next. And then I was interested what was introduced in the episode that was different from this the mo- the book, but I'm mm-hmm. still not sure how that makes the story better. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that I mean, even whether you're a book reader or not, I do think that just tonally this might bother a lot of people. If it, if, for, for those who, you know, haven't watched it yet, this might bother you. But I would just say give it a give it a watch and, and then just see how it fits, because it, it does feel different from the rest of the series thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know what it's going to be like 10 episodes at least. Yep. So, you know, perhaps this is kind of like a one off tone change. Um, perhaps this is how it's going to be going forward. But it is a different vibe. Mm. All right, well, that's good. Two dissenting views so far because me, myself, and I, I personally love this episode. The first time I watched it, I thought it was hella goofy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You know, about halfway through, though, I got it. I'm a big fan of the Indiana Jones movies. I love the Mummy films. Uh, Tomb Raider, they're pretty good, too. You know, they're solid. Um, Goonies. And all these type of films are referenced heavy in this episode. Mm-hmm. And so I loved all that. But also what I loved most and I think a lot of people are going to miss this because people are concentrated on the show being about racism and things of that nature. But this show, this episode really took on the patriarchal structure in a way that it was covered up in the goofiness, mm-hmm. but it directly does it. And that is so important to me because that is such a big part of racism. And it's something as a man that I, you know, especially as a younger man, as uh, our friend Janicia loves to say, I was a former young hotep. <laughs> and so, you know, as a reformed hotep, I love things of this nature that can be subversive and, you know, show hoteps there's other ways of thought and, you know, th- that's not the way that we want to go. But that being said, let's get into some of these themes of this episode. We need our resident uh, super producer, Luna, to come through with us. Themes of the episode, you know, type thing, right? There. <laughs> That's a sound effects. Yeah, we'll work on that. Uh, hold on, first one I want to, uh, but actually, before we do that, before we okay. get into these themes, um, Portia, you know, we we're wearing something right here. You know, we, I, I think we just need to, you know, you know, floss real quick. Um, I hope you all are also watching us on the yeah, Twitch. A little something, you know, just a little, little something. This you can, thing? Yeah, yeah, you can get these on uh, tpublic.com slash for all nerds. These are the official. Safe Negro podcast show, you know, paraphernalia. You can get this beautiful logo done by the one and only Mr. Morris on all kind of different things. So Mm -hmm. make sure you go cop that. Mm -hmm. But back to the matter at hand, as we talk about the themes, the first one we have to talk about is uh, the idea of an arms race, because that's what really sets the episode off. And I did my Googles. I could not find who this speech was by. Well, I wonder if it was an actual, because it kind of also sounded like a more modern recording. So I wonder mm. if it was just an interpretation of what uh, a Cold yes. War speech would sound like, because yep. it used a lot of um, phrasing and terms that I've I've seen before in history books. Mm. But to your point, whenever I was actually Googling whole phrases, nothing would pop up. So I, I think it was just an approximation of what, that type of, and when I say that type of communication, I mean like back in that time, they would listen to the radio and, you know, in, in the 50s and the 60s, and they Eisenhower. would have, yeah, and during that time, and they would have these constant um, uh, propaganda type 
type, I don't know what to call it, commercials that would talk about how, you know, there's the red scare and the red threat, meaning mm-hmm. Russia. And, you know, they, they have a proliferation of, of nuclear arms and you got to be, you know, we got to be prepared against them and, and this and that. Um, but to your point, yeah, like the, the one of the themes was about the, the, the arms race and this race between two warring factions. And in this case, the it's this juxtaposition of Montrose, Atticus and them versus uh, the Braithwaites and, and, and really the sons of Adam and, and that whole understanding of that. Because if you think about it, like the, in the arms race, what the whole thing was about was that one superpower was vastly unprepared for the other. Um, at that time, people were thinking in the U.S., people were thinking that, you know, Russia had it all when it came to the nu- nuclear arms and we were scared that they were going to bomb us and all this other stuff. And when you come back to this, you have a situation where like Montrose, Atticus and them, they technically they're out of their depth. They just discovered these people. We just learning that these people have magic, that they I, I don't even want to say they have powers, but they have access to powers and that. You know, Montrose and them are just learning about this and just learning how to defend themselves and learning for ways to defend themselves. So they're not quite there when it comes to um, being able to protect themselves. It also just seems like Montrose like got the knowledge that he he's the one who's the most educated out of the group about how the magic system works. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's already given up. Like he's already saying like, yeah. throw in the towel, throw in the yeah, tile. Yeah. I mean, he even compared himself. He was just like... <laughs> I mean, and he even, and which was which was interesting to me, um, and I think that's just because they're also the fact that they're black. He compared them, his group, Montrose and their group, to the Russians. He said that we're the Russians, mm-hmm. and and the Sons of Adam and them, you know, they're the U.S. They're the ones who're gonna end up coming at us. So I, I just thought that was interesting. That, but but it made sense, right? That they would put themselves in the position of the enemy. And it's also the arms races, also in between. You know, the lodges, all these lodges are yeah. racing. Christina's trying to get the Ori. She's trying to get these pages. She's trying to get anything she can get her hands on. Yeah. She's fighting. So there's all these different arms races. But the speech at the beginning also reveals something and shows you why Montrose burns up the book. Because the speech that he's hearing says something about the only way to win is to destroy their stockpile. Mm-hmm. So he's of the mindset that, like you said, Portia, he's tired. He's beat. He's like, F magic. F if I can't have it, you can't either. So, you know, all this shit got to go. So he immediately, at the beginning of the story, burns up the book of Adam. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I am I was I was flabbergasted. I just saw right. this man, you know. Yeah, uh, Montrose might know more than the rest, but it's, I don't know about his street smarts right now. I feel like so, it was, it came back again whenever he saw, um, and then like later on in the episode, like towards the end when we saw um them interact with the actual vault and with the person waiting in the vault mm-hmm. um how like if you look at his face as Atticus could clearly just like translate and understand the language that was being said while like no one else understood what was being said you could see him being like uncomfortable with the fact that like he didn't have like that magic like it's something that's in Atticus like he can just do it and he doesn't have to like have the book like from one standpoint, he could possibly be able to just translate things given what's in his blood. Yeah. And he's particularly, the, I just want to be clear, the book he's burning, he's burning that bylaws uh, of the Order of the Ancient Dawn, which yes. is a book that Mantra, excuse me, that George actually snuck to him and gave him before he died. Yeah. And you can see clips of him like yeah, taking it out of the house at the end. But also, 
that's what George used to defeat them to their face at mm-hmm. the during the day. So it's kind of like, why would you get rid of like how Ben was saying? Why would you get rid of your, your one leverage that you have yeah. right now? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't understand. Like, I understood that move from what Benamin said is that like he wants he's trying to just get rid of, as you say, their stockpile anything that they could potentially use against them. But at the same time, to me, I'm like that's your. Right now, that's your main defense and your main way of learning. Why would you burn it? I just attributed it to him being drunk as fuck and just, you know, being beside himself. Like, he's drinking his, like, he he was he was out of it. And I was just like, and then when he burned it and him saying, oh, it smells like Tulsa. Oof. What I think a lie. he just has a lot of trauma. Like, that's just, it sounds like yeah. it's just, like, a lot of trauma. And he, like, instead of, like, being able to kind of like sit back and rationalize behind things he's let Mm -hmm. the trauma comes first and until he's able Mm -hmm. to work through that trauma that's going to always be the case is the trauma is going to come first yeah yeah Yeah. and also one thing we see in the book before he burns it up is the uh passage adam named you know referring to adam naming everything like we saw in the first episode Mm -hmm. or second episode eve fucked god brought forth monsters monsters devoured god smites eve so really, it's not very far off from the Bible, honestly. Here's my thing. Let me tut tut tut. Yeah. First of all, what kind of fucking Bible is this? That well, not far off from I the know. regular Bible, though. But but let's say it is because the Bible, at least the the Bibles that were used, kind of King James and after, is written. It's written by man. Number yes. one, okay. Man is an imperfect creature, imperfect creature, and is written by many men who want to do what continue to control the world and continue to what continue to perpetrate perpetrate patriarchy so for them and and this is also one of the themes we're going to go into in the episode but for them to continue to solely place all blame on eve and say this and when we when when we don't really know the full story but as you saw (laughs) (laughs) we don't but as you saw it was like oh this is eve's fault we came down this road because eve did this and then for for this this passage that you just read, Ben, for it to say, after all that, God decided to smite Eve. Like, right. and what dude. about Adam? Like, Adam, <laughs> at, like, my man's is, not, like, mandem is not, like, clean and, and without sin. Like, like <laughs> this no. one they are. But that's what I'm saying. It's just, like, this goes back to what we said in, what, what, like, episode uh, two or so when they first got to the manor. Like, I feel like they they twist and turn all sorts of, of historical texts and religious texts and and art and this and that to go further towards what they feel is right, which is men is number one, uh, fuck women, misogyny, misogyny, and all this other but stuff. To keep it real though, that's the thing. The only difference between this and the Bible is God brought forth the monsters and monsters devouring. But not even just the not even the just language the, the, the language yeah. was a bit much. <laughs> but I mean, do you want it flowery like King no, James I, era? No, no, no. It's just it it's just because I don't like these motherfuckers. The the sons yeah. of uh, yeah. Adam, and then for them to just continuously just be disgusting mm-hmm. bothers me. Yep. I have like three quick notes. One, okay. um, like like you were saying, this is like relig- Like you're saying, like this is the Bible, but this is like religion. They're all they mm-hmm. all do the same thing. They all yes. pull together different things to make them make the message that they want to give out, and then boom, suddenly everything is reinforcing this worldview. Um, two, and when you singing mini men gave me like one of those tweet things where I'm like, in this essay, I will talk about how mini men is actually direct. <laughs> discussion about patriarchy <laughs> and, and racism and racism yeah 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 Facts. um i guess i would just love to see it and um the third one is 
I just think that there's a lot here. Like, oh yeah, so the monsters. So yeah. God created monsters. The men are the monsters. Like, it's not like the mm-hmm. creatures are the monsters. It's the men. Like, Adam is a monster. Because mm-hmm. I feel mm. like they would have said God killed the animals if they were talking about the animals. Like, the animals, as you say, the animals were created by God. They all had, now they have names. Why would God be killing his own regular, regular animals? He's killing, as you say, the, the humans are the problem. But also, like, God is kind of a monster because he literally took a piece of Adam, ripped it out, made another person from it. Like, that's monstrous. Damn, that's like the least but, of God's but, moves that are but, terrible in the Bible. But it's not like he could feel it. Because remember, there was no pain or nothing. Yeah. So it's not like the person. This is like. The pain came when the sin came. These are like Play-Doh people, man. You're just taking out parts and then popping yeah. it in there. Like, <laughs> it's like, operation, it was fine. The game. It was yeah. like, oper- like, it was fine. Like, and nobody was. There, there was none of that. So. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll get back to the arms race so that comes back in, especially Montrose's uh, pretty foolish moves. But another one that I see keeps coming up in this show is vampirism, right? This has been yeah. from the first episode. I feel like pretty much every episode so far, there are either direct or indirect references to vampirism. And the first one we see is when Christina shows up at the crib and tries to invite herself in and walk across the threshold. And <laughs> voila! <laughs> I love that the Winthrop house rescinded her invitation, bro. Voila. But it wasn't even the Winthrop house. It literally was like those, the goat the blood. blood. The, the blood of the goat. The blood of the blood. And it was yep. like, so, it, but it was the black people's, like, the magic, their spirituality. Yeah. That's the ancestral what magic. Out. Yeah. Yep. And that's also, as everyone knows, who's anybody seen a vampire movie, they cannot come into your crib until you invite them in. She tried to invite herself in. The goat blood uh-huh. also there. Womp, womp, yeah. And Lady whammy. looks like a vampire, like Facts. real talk. Like from Jump Street, Christina looks like a vampire because she's super pale. She has that ashen blonde hair, those those striking eyes. Like she looks scary. She belongs on True Blood. Facts. Yes. Yes. The progeny of Eric Northern. But the vampirism keeps on coming up in this episode. In order to get into the vault, once they get into the vault through, you know, enough Indiana Jones, mummy adventures, all that, Atticus has to stick his arm in and give blood to the vault itself. Yeah, yeah. He gave blood before. Mm-hmm. We saw that happen when they were trying to open the door to Eden, to the garden, um, you know, in, in order, because they had to use the, his blood magic, the magic within his soul. Yep. Um, and same here, as you mentioned, it's happening again which I thought was absolutely terrifying because you, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so, okay, maybe I need to grow up, but him <laughs> sticking his hand in a hole in the wall, I was just like, I don't, you know, I thought about some other things, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just thought it, 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 for you to have that kind of blind, I mean, that, that's what you're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to have that blind trust to, and, and, and prior to him sticking his hand in the wall, they pulled out another arm, a, a dead person's arm, well, presumably dead, a dead person's arm out of the wall to be able to stick his arm in the wall to begin with. So I, it's a lot of trust. Uh, it's a lot of trust in the process that I, I may not have had. Yeah. And before we get to another one, I think we need to talk about the big reveal or one of the big reveals of this episode, which has been hinted at, foreshadowed, all kind of things. A lot of people have guessed it. It seems to be the case that William and Christina are one and the same. Yeah. Then um, this is interesting because a listener actually hit us up about this maybe Mad a couple people. weeks back or a few people a few weeks back. They, they thought that Christina and William were the same because just that they looked similar. Um, 
I know it's so funny to me because when I think back, Ben, I mean, you were very vocal about not liking Christina at yes, all, but you know, thinking right. William was cool. Yep. Um, and 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 what's interesting now about this because when you compare it to the book, remember we talked about how we learned that Christina is what Caleb is in the well, they they changed Caleb to Christina, um, but the Caleb's personality is more so William. So it seems like instead of you know keeping things the same, Misha and and the the team actually just split the character out. No, they made the character. She came with her, with her, with her. She came with her. She came with her. She came with moods. But, but basically, they did what. Long story short, what I'm saying is, they did bring both characters to life, just in a different way, a way that's different than expected. And yeah, we see her uh, pull up, Jason. You know, Jason Statham pull up to a house or a building. She walks in the door, and maybe four seconds later, out walks out William, and. The presumption is, okay, that's the same person. Also, he says, I have to go on a date and then shows up for Ruby, which leads to our other vampirism because as he is laying down that pipe on the stairs, <laughs> Ruby uh, cuts herself on something. That's why I didn't see it. What did she cut herself on? Oh, was it the, like she knocked over some, something. Some glass, yeah. It was like an hourglass or something. I, I didn't understand how that happened, but. And then uh, William starts sucking the blood right out of her hand. So, I don't know. A couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, was, this was a bit there. much for me, but... There's a lot there. Um, for me, like, so far, like, again, going back to the book. So, in the, like, I was interested that they made um, Christina, like, instead of Caleb as Christina, I was interested in, like, oh, are they going to make that mean that Ruby's going to get romanced by Christina? So I thought they're going to do a play on sexuality there. Um mm-hmm in the story and so like when they did this instead i was like okay interesting um i wonder why they chose to do that instead of like what they could have done um and it's interesting also that they chose to make christina the woman the unlikable one instead of trying to be liked by everyone she's just kind of like doing whatever and made william the more charming one i wonder if that she's trying to make like a it's weird that if christina's trying to make a feminist or white feminist argument of like the men, like I've been the man and the man gets treated better, but you're yeah. also actually nicer when you're the man. So also, I don't know, you know, like, right. yeah, but we that's, all know that's, but that's, that's, like that's real. Yeah, but I'm just yeah. like, Ugh. um. And then the other thing is that in the book, um, blood comes into play with Ruby and Caleb in mm-hmm. the story. So I was just thinking that this situation was going to be a lead up into what's going to happen um, as it happens in a book. Oh, definitely. Blood already in the play. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, it's just the vampirism will continue next episode. And I think they're going to keep on down that path that you're talking about where Christina will be romancing Ruby. I don't think this is the end of this Me story neither. at all. Me you neither. Know, but do you think she'll be romancing out. Ruby as Christina or as, as Christina? William? As both. Why not? Get it how you live it. Well, that, so, and here's the thing it depends on one, it also depends on a couple of factors. It depends on if this, interaction is just purely just a physical thing because you know she was feeling some type of way remember ruby was drinking all that stuff is this interaction also fueled by magic so is there some love spell type thing happening too so is this a genuine attraction you know fueled by alcohol and whatnot uh or is this also fueled by um christina's powers so that's another thing too and while i do believe what you're saying i agree with you ben that this is going to be a an ongoing I don't even want to call it a relationship, an ongoing entanglement. Mm-hmm. I still. <laughs> that was so long ago. <laughs> I think it's, I still think that 
we you you can't be a hundred percent sure whether or not how genuine this is because for all you know this again this could just be a spell um and then to your point you know if that's the case then would christina even reveal that she's the same person and what and what what would she gain by doing that Mm -hmm. but what if she just you know loves ruby who wouldn't i don't trust her so i don't and and like you know, I don't give a fuck. I don't trust Christina, period. So I don't think that there's no any such thing as, oh, while well, I love her and I'm trying to help her. Like, no, she's doing this for personal gain, period. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I did want to mention about the whole William situation and why I you know, realized, OK, this probably has to be Christina is because when they when they're going to town on the steps, you do see the strange glyph on William's chest. And it's a glyph. Uh, it's like a raised kind of uh in, in, i don't know what scarring. to call it scarring on yeah. his chest that's of a ram um ram represents you know power virility um aries. and aries <laughs> i mean, I mean th th okay, first of all it, it, it's also associated with the zodiac sign of rulership which as you mentioned aries um it's governed the ram is governed by the planet mars and mars represents the spirit of the warriors because for in example, yeah. yeah, Ram was the symbol of the Greek deity Zeus and Apollo. Uh, and again, we see this continuing um, references to Greek mythology throughout the series and how they connect to all the characters. And I think that will help us also make some determinations as the story continues. Um, and then one of the other points I wanted to make about that whole Ram was that it represents can also represent sacrifice. Mm hmm. So it's just like, okay, what is Christina sacrificing in order to get maintain this form, this transfiguration thing? Or, or what does she need to get from other people? Like, why did she suck out the blood of, of Ruby? Is she going to be able to now be Ruby's doppelganger when she wants to? Mm. Or, like, what's the motive? And that's why I'm like, this no such thing as love. This is all motive-based. Damn. Not with not Chris, Chris Christina. Hell no. And even though I was the one saying in the first episode that Christina was unlikable. I have actually found her quite likable I like ever her. since. Like, charming as fuck, even. Mm -hmm. In a cold-blooded, you know, I am powerful, don't F with me kind of way. Oh, man, I, I like me some Christina, boy. When she, told, <laughs> when she told my man off at the end of the last episode, you can't go around killing white women, I was like, yo, you know. So the more assertive she got, the more you liked her. Yeah, I always like, you know, strong, assertive women. That, you know, shit. Those are <laughs> and, you know, that's me. And um, we'll get back to vampires as well, but then we're going to get into one of the big ones in the episode. I feel like, you know, as I've heard some of these other reviewers talk about this show, missing things left and right, I feel like they're going to completely miss this. And I feel like one of the big themes of the show, and it's been from the very beginning, but it's huge in this episode, is sexuality and the fluidity of gender mm -hmm. and... Yo, like I said, as a former hotel, you know, I love this stuff because it, it just digs into people who don't get it, you know, and this shit, it, there's so much in this episode that if you don't do a little research or a little thinking, you're just going to miss. But, yes. Um, it's really represented strongly, like we talked about, by Christina and William, by how she switches back and forth, you know, like it's nothing, flip flop. Um, Montrose. And his, as something else that people surmised for weeks, I personally did not think so because I felt like people were just putting that on my man because he played Omar in The Wire. So I felt like people were just automatically like, <laughs> You thought oh, The you, Wire was seeping yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> you're gay, you know, in every role. You know, it's the, it's the Leo DiCaprio. Oh, that dude, yeah, you know. Right. Like, no, yeah. I didn't think that at all. I just didn't think 
that he was period yeah. and but but to your point yeah people were pointing out that they believed that Montrose was gay um they made you know they made determinations based on the fact that he didn't seem to get that upset when you know his brother basically took his oh god <laughs> his, his, dug his, out his wife oh god <laughs> yes that's tv real but okay, okay. But this is my thing. I'm, I'm like, I don't, I, like someone said that, and I'm like, personally, I felt like that's not necessarily determination, but okay. And then, but one thing that they did say, which is why I'm like, okay, maybe you're getting at something, is that they felt that that would explain why when Machos was young, why his father beat his ass just for drawing a picture. And I'm just like, why would anybody get their ass beat for drawing a picture unless. Yeah. If you're talking about that time, and, and even hell, even modern times, where people think that if you, if you show off certain characteristics, if you're a man, you show off certain characteristics that you must be gay. Um, and, you know, in, in this case, maybe Montrose's creativity. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in the story about Montrose drawing things, it was that he was literally standing at the bus route waiting for black men to get off the bus, the yes. Negro leads, and drawing black men. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But but like I said, he was a kid or he was younger, so I didn't think anything of it. That those are he's yeah, standing there waiting for his heroes. It. Yeah, I thought the same thing. But I thought and maybe he drew a situation by looking. You know, he was looking at the men and he decided oh. to draw a situation later. And that it's also um in interspersed with the speech at the beginning of the episode. You hear his father yeah. yelling from that moment, and he says, "I see you with that flower in your hair, boy." The what flower. Can I tell you about the flower in your hair. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And know. and that's sad. Like, yes. I, 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 that's. I always get really upset when I hear things like that. Like, people well, first just making assumptions about what someone sexuality is. I think that's rude as fuck. Mm-hmm. Mind your business. And secondly, just to be so violent against it. Like yes. th- that. That has always bothered me. Um, for for obvious reasons, but. Um, even seeing that that how that violence has essentially turned Machos into, at least on the outside, a very prickly person, mm-hmm. um, and 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 but you can tell that he has so much love and pain trapped inside. But especially as like a a like his father to him, like that was the legacy that he was got given was that like this is how you be a father to some you like you push whatever it is that you don't like about your child out. Like you beat them out of doing the thing that you yeah. don't want them to do. Yeah. Um, which is really unfortunate for his relationship with Atticus and what things, like how things come down. Um, I was thinking about how much he pushed back whenever George mentioned that Atticus might not be his. Cause it was kind of, kind of like, mm. a, not only because it's like, mm-hmm. that's a pride point. Like that's his kid or whatever. Don't you come for me? But also mm-hmm. just like, um, was his, did Atticus like did the, his mother, did he act? Did she, was she actually just like his beard? Like, did she know what was going on Ooh. with Montrose? And she was like acting as his beard. And then he feels a way that George is like bringing that up because he doesn't feel like going into that or whatever. Um, and then also, like, someone mentioned that Tree was like hinting at Atticus or whatever, like to make Atticus the first time he walks into the bar go back out there and see Slappy getting toppy or whatever. Um, Sammy getting sloppy toppy. Sammy getting sloppy toppy. There we go. Um, and it was interesting that, like, in this episode, we see Tree make that in, in a window to mm-hmm. Atticus right after um, Montrose comes to the museum. It's like, this this uh, black security guard is uh, looking for me. And then they go walk downstairs. In the um, back. Yeah. He says, well, he'll let us in the back. And the black security guard also just happened to have lavender pants on. It was a lot of little things 
And like I say, as a black man who's raised by a black father, I think we talked about this on episode before and being raised in the church and all that. I saw that, you know, I saw like, you know, violence, you know, a history of violence, you know, being committed mm-hmm. upon myself, you know, like mm-hmm. my dad whipped the living shit out of me. And it wasn't something that like by today's standards might have been considered a little extreme, you know, but pretty much every black kid I knew, especially black boys. And that was nothing. He did not hit my sister, which might have been, you know, just our household or not nearly as much as me. But, you know, me, I caught a lot. And, you know, that goes back to that history of violence. But that also goes back to slavery and slavery inflicting this violence upon us. And that being the only family structure that we know is comes from slavery and whipping. And so we continue these same tortures that have been put upon us. And we look at it as the only way, you know, if the rod, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. And all these ideas and it all ties into something about our manhood and the idea that black men like being a black man i think sometimes people don't realize it's so draining you know one of my best friends said it best like black people spend way too much of their lives worrying about being black Mm. because it's like we especially as black men we have this certain you know uh persona we have to take on and we have to maintain you know, or as a cis straight black man, you know, you have to be like, yo, I'm hard, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't show no emotions, you know, I don't get no hugs, I don't smile, you know, all that type of shit. You have to be hyper-masculine. Hyper-masculine. And the hyper-masculinity is taught through us by, you know, this corporate influence rap music, a lot of nonsense, television, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why this episode I really love because it's really digging into a lot of that stuff because a lot of these things are taught to us by stories like Indiana Jones. Where it's this dude punching out things, you know, getting the girl thin, womp, 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 you know, stealing from uh, cultures, all these things that are patriarchal, racist society. And in this episode, you have them go on this adventure. Mm -hmm. But during this adventure, you see Letty take the lead, you know, throughout Mm -hmm. the whole adventure. She is pretty much always in the lead. She only one with sense. Yeah, always (laughs) following her lead. At the very end of it, she saves the day. She has to go save the day while the men have to stay in the elevator. And then she comes back and your boy uh, Tick after, you know, saying, I'm not a sissy, you know, all episode denying it. At the end, he's sitting there jumping into her arms like the typical woman does in these adventures. And then the Anna mm-hmm. Jones comes back with the gold, you know, the woman jumps into his arms. But he jumps into Letty's arms and is kissing her like, you know, oh, thank you. You saved the day, you know. <laughs> and so that's it's these little flips that I really enjoyed in this episode. Yeah. And then going back uh, with that into the theme of sexuality and the fluidity of gender, um, you know, we just talked about how the, all the all the back and forth that for many reasons why Christina was turning into William and what she was doing, you know, what her intentions were with that. We saw uh, the situation of, of kind of understanding or coming to, I guess, the realization that Macho's probably is bisexual. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh and then also, uh, you come upon a. I, I'm not sure if she, is she a deity or just a a, a person that no, was just a person. Okay, she's just a person. Can yes. we talk about this person that we see towards the end of the episode? Y- Yahima. Okay, Yahima, the woman from the land of many waters. Yes, the land of many waters uh, refers to Guyana mm. in South America. Wait, um, does yep. do they confirm that? Do they talk about themselves as a woman? Because maybe their pronoun is they. It might be they. they. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're, they're, no, they they talk about themselves as being a person of two spirits. So that would be a they pronoun. They. they, they. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't be woman. It would be they. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, there's some apologies. I didn't mean to. Um, no, I'm just trying to make yeah. sure. I'm like, wait, we should probably. No offense that. to Yahima before they come and beat your ass. <laughs> yeah, Yahima, let's just call they by their name. Yahima is from the land of many waters, which refers to Guyana. Um, the original people of Guyana are the Taino people. She is speaking actually Arawak. I know that because the episode is on streaming, and if you uh, look into the subtitles, it says speaks Arawak. Oh, okay. <laughs> but also, the Arawak is one of the languages spoken by the people of Taino, and her tattoos are resemble. I couldn't find any that were exact, but they resemble the symbols of Arawak, the alphabet. Ah, uh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and then you mentioned Taino people, which are the original people of Guyana. Yes. And uh, when Spanish conquistadors came and committed genocide against the Taino people, um, their culture did survive through through Mexican and Native American influences. Yeah, a lot of Mexican and Native American people I know personally, you know, they refer to the Taino and they they even call themselves Taino. You know, they're like, that's where I'm from. That's my culture. Because Mexico is conquerors too. Mexico, mm-hmm. the idea of Mexico is Spanish conquerors who created Mexico. So that's right. a whole nother thing. So they're all, you know, they go back to being Taino. Right. Uh, and, and when it comes to uh, Yahima, Yahima represents an androgynous being. Yes. When uh, Yahima is first revealed, they uh, they have the breasts of a woman and the sexual organs of a man. And you see like Letty and them, they're like confused as hell. They're like, wait a minute. You know, they don't know what to expect because first of all, Yahima was a skeleton. A <laughs> corpse. <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs> and pops out. Yeah. So um hopped up. Yeah, hopped, hopped up. So uh uh and and I thought this was some interesting um references that you included. I, I'm not sure if, if you included it. Um Yep. Okay. But uh you mentioned about the the idea of two spirited people. And I do know in native in many different native cultures, in many different cultures around the world. Uh, people who are considered androgynous or two spirited people are are, are revered mm-hmm. because it means that they have a different they have a more powers than the average person. It means that they're they they they're um uh, they're very special. Um, so it's interesting how much that is completely in contrast with the typical kind of Christian Western view. Mm-hmm. Um, where those, where the people of of, of that background of, of androgyny is is not celebrated, whereas in damn near so many other cultures it is. Mm-hmm. Like you're considered, you're considered, you know, more godly and 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 have a higher rank than the average person. It's really interesting uh, doing this research for this episode. How I was finding out through most indigenous cultures, through most Native American, Native South American, you know, every indigenous culture in general. There is a, what's the word, um, respect and knowledge that gender is not binary mm-hmm. and that it's just not male and female. Like they have in uh, the Navajos and most, they have five different genders. Those of a man with a masculine personality, woman with a feminine personality, man with a feminine, mm-hmm. woman with masculine and two spirited people, mm-hmm. the fifth. So that was interesting to me. And even during the research, it pointed out that in modern day, like you said, Christian culture, patriarchal society has even infected natives where now they don't even, you know, indigenous people have been corrupted. Just like African people, we all had these same viewpoints. If you go back to Africa, all these things, I mean, if you go back to beginning, you know, African and indigenous people pretty much all have a lot of the same viewpoints on life, et cetera, on spirituality on gender, all these ideas. And this becomes erased by Western culture coming in, colonizing and changing everything. And Yahima even speaks to that 
when she talks about how the Brave Whites came in and she had no reason to distrust them. She knew the language of Adam through, she says, from finding it in this. She knew it from a cave. I couldn't find the name of the cave. I could not find, once again, Google references. I'm not sure about. But um, she said she knew the language of Adam. She had no reason to trust them, not to trust them. And, of course, they killed and destroyed everything. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think um, I think it's fine to call her she because Atticus referred to her as she. Like, towards the end, he was like, oh, they're going to teach her how to speak English. Mm. So but that just could be Atticus, you know, a 1955 black could man. be, and that's <laughs> and that's you know that 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 just again goes back to what we've been saying about sexuality and the fluidity of it, and you know how you present, how people view you, um, and really just how cultures understand and relate to the different um, people. Mm-hmm. Anything on that portion? Yeah, no, um, exact same thing. I looked at different cultures, and I think it's it's very interesting how much colonization, especially, like, colonization through the idea of, like, what is it? Like, spreading the ministry, basically, through Christianity, mm-hmm. how that's literally led to, like, the death and the, like, of millions of people because of ideology, right? Especially when mm-hmm. it comes to gender. Like, how many people have died because of their sexuality and genders over time mm-hmm. because of Christianity, um, so that's a lot of to, to that. Um, and also like the matriarchal systems, which a lot of the indigenous and African cultures also had. So there's a lot of yep. symmetry in both the gender lens and how um, systems worked where they're more matriarchal. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, like we said, we, uh, referencing Greek mythology again. Um, what her, her, hermaphrodites, I can't remember. You know, it's where the word hermaphrodite comes from is the son of uh, one of two different gods and he had um male and female characteristics so even in greek society you know this was recognized it's Mm -hmm. only nowadays when it's just become this western christian bullshit where it's just like no there's two male female you know that's it and it's like come on fam like you really gonna be mad at somebody like oh i when my personal realization when it came about was when i was like yo we're really mad at people for who they choose to fuck <laughs> you know and it's like i know i do all kind of wild shit when i'm getting down so I'm, i really have no time to be judging the next person you know at all about it mm-hmm. so i really love yahima's character in general everything i think there's a lot of history in that um idea the taino people like this were i mean completely eliminated and this is a thing um uh a People's History of the United States talks about it, and it's just a, it's a great book if you haven't read it, but it, the conquerors always came with the same tactics. They would always show up, the people would be generous, give them everything, they would try to kill them, and then the people, in fact, the Taino people regarded the Spanish conquerors as demons, which is very interesting, you know, considering how brave whites are. Mm. And so, you know, they regarded them as demons and started killing them off. And then the Spanish people came back with the flu and other diseases. And that's how they always did this. It's the same thing that um, Christopher Columbus and everyone else did. They would always lose, but the disease would always start killing off the majority of the native people. And then they would come back in and finish the genocide. It goes back to what I think Portia said earlier, where like man is really the monsters. Um, and, you know, and that passage that said monsters devoured. When, you're ta- when you, Ben, are talking about the conquistadors and all these other people, they are literally devouring whole cultures and, and people. And um, it's upsetting to say the least. <laughs> just, just a bit. And just a bit. 
Um, that also references another theme of, of this episode and the show and how they've been flipping it is the centering of men in stories. Yes. Because whenever you see one of these, you know, tales, whenever you see the majority, even like uh, me and you have talked about the hero's journey and this idea of the hero's journey, it's a very male-centered point of view. And it's used to tell pretty much every story that we've ever seen in mass media. And this show has really been flipping it. And it's also been talking about how, like Christina and Letty are like, don't let the move. I mean, uh, Christina to Letty is saying, don't let the men fool you into thinking it's all about them, which is just. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, there, are, as you mentioned, there's mad references in that episode to the centering men and, and also the, the, the interrogation of that you see in the library scene. Uh, oh, I believe it was library scene, but, but basically the scene where Letty is talking to Atticus, she's like, yo, you are not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the earth. Um, and it could have even been later, but the point is she, she, she confronts him about this. She, she, does she, it like both times. she, she, she's like, you know, cause, cause, and it's true. Atticus keeps centering everything around him. Like all, all of this. I mean, yes, he's, he's the guy, but he's just one piece in the larger puzzle and the larger story. So she's just like, why do you act like you're the only one going through all this? Like she was there with the Shogos too. She was there who actually saved them from the Shogos. She was there who, as you mentioned, men saved them through, through getting that scroll and getting the fuck out of the vault. Like she got killed. She got, killed. She got wholesale killed with a T uh and 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 for Atticus to basically be like oh I don't want you involved in this bro she already died for this like it's too late for that we we we've passed that checkpoint already um in addition talking about Christina when Christina gets confronted by the local police which are actually the lodge in Chicago so as you know Christina was based over in what Massachusetts or whatever wherever Artem state is is based in when she comes into town in Chicago, basically without getting permission, that sets off alarm bells for the local lodge there. And then that's why, you know, she's under surveillance by them. They bring her in like, yo, and, and the captain of that unit's like, what are you doing here? And you can't just be whoopty whoop playing around over here without getting some permission from me first. Like he's trying to assert male dominance over her. And she's just like, you know, I'm do I do what I want. But <laughs> it's just again just a continued understanding and, and, and theme of 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 men trying to center themselves and, and and say that everything revolves around them. Um and as mentioned with the whole library scene and, and, and it actually comes up several times, you see a young kid reading the Journey to the Center of the Universe or Center of the Earth book. And that book gets mentioned again later on in the episode and again the centering of, of men thinking they are the center of everything. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Bars. Bars. <laughs> wow, I didn't even make that reference to the center and the center. It just kept getting repeated. Like, yeah. like, like this, this is like, like, like everything revolves around them. And, and, um, that as we're talking about it, that is reminding me of the conversation Hippolyta was having at the beginning with her father when mm. they were talking about the orrery and she was trying to explain that when I guess in the orrery it shows that there's two sons mm -hmm. and the father was like, well, how can, you know, are you sure the two? I, I, the, he, they were trying to understand how is that celestially possible? Yeah. Without eclipsing each other. Yeah. 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 So, so just the mention of the sons, you know, double entendre there. I, that's, that's how I made that connection. Portia. Yeah. I, for that, for the scene where um, Christina goes and is confronted by the police chief, I just was interested by the change, um, again, from the book, where um, the police chief, or I guess in this this story, the police chief is the same 
Well, he's in the story. She says, like in the show, she says that he's not. She doesn't remember him being uh, brought in under oath into the lodge. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Cause in the book, the member she interacts with in Chicago is the lodge leader. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they're making it till you making it. All right, I'm trying to figure out like, is there? Some, we're well, gonna, he got henchmen. Right, but that's the police though. Like that's yeah, how police that, they work. All got right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all got guns. It's basically yeah. what so I don't know I don't know if there's gonna come be someone who comes in to fulfill the role later. But for yeah. now it seems like it's uh he's playing the role as the Chicago Lodge leader, um, does in a book. And it's weird to me that she he says that like he says the no C words are allowed and it's like but that's not what it's like in the book like literally there's women leaders of other lodges we meet them later so I'm wondering what that change is all about is it just to make this a bigger explanation of looking at how like patriarchy is like working in this um story t- story mm. um and I also I mean, wonder be, it, it would be unlikely if any white man was going to give up his power to a woman in 1955 on camera magical or not no you know? no I mean it reminded me of the, the that whole interaction also just reminded me of things like the suffrage movement where you had Susan B Anthony and friends basically using uh black people to get ahead and and saying oh well it's actually good if you let in the white women because you know we could drown out the black vote or the black man vote so so and that's another reason why i don't and 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 i know i'm steering just a little bit away from we were talking but another reason why i don't trust christina understandable so but but there's yeah, back, many back reasons back not to trust that, her yeah. but i'm just wondering <laughs> yeah i just but it's what interesting because like whenever he whenever mantra slips that there's 34 other lodges yes um, like that automatically brought me to remembering who were leading some of the other lodges in a book. And some of those lodge leaders are women, even in the time in the story. And I mean, yeah, they're probably all white women, but mm-hmm. it's not like, the, like Christina's usurping anyone's power here. And in the book, um, Caleb, who's Christina's, uh, her other person in the book, um, she, the Caleb ver- version of her he actually like yeah he's in trouble with the chicago lodge because he is stepping on turf that's just like turf wars so it's another like arms race turf war kind of reference there um this is definitely a turf war here yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely turf war he he says it he's like why did you come you trying to take the orrery off of my property yeah because it's in my turf that's in my my, my city yeah that's what he's saying was the cop not allowed into the winthrop house like he couldn't get in he couldn't get in i think i think because of the spirits the the spirits all that having it from nobody that's interesting yeah it wasn't about black or white he's like yeah all y'all i thought everyone was having trouble getting into that house because of the spirits yeah i kill them all and even even christina i mean i don't know if if he particularly was blocking her but christina asked how did you evict hiram hiram's ghost which means, which I felt like, okay, perhaps that was stopping them from coming Everybody in and doing shook. what they needed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those, so that was another thing that I wanted to, like, I know we didn't, we were trying to go scene for scene, but this one thing I thought was interesting was mm-hmm. someone had brought this up on um, Twitter about how they have like theories about how much the um, magic within the Winthrop house is um, keeping things a secret from um, Lady. And so they don't think that Letty knows about the dead bodies in the like sub basement. Oh, she doesn't. No, she does not. And whenever the body was found in the um, tomb that they raided, uh, mm-hmm. that she's like, I think it's one of the neighbors. And yes. yeah. I'm like, but wasn't weren't the neighbors in the body? Weren't they all in her sub basement? I, w- I was confused by that. I was. Okay. She was. She was like, oh, that's one of my neighbors. I got went missing. I'm like, wait, what? Okay, this is the thing. Um, one, I. I think Letty does well. I'm not sure if she knows that the house killed the um things, but 
the I think her shock at seeing it there is wondering why the fuck is this body in Boston? And that's the point because of this wormhole tunnel thing that we saw in the episode. And of course, I think you referenced it, but we de- I personally thought that those were the slave skeletons down there, and that's not what it was. That was that long tunnel which headed mm-hmm. from Boston to Chicago. I thought those skeletons, well, because they the looked like some fresh, fresh bodies. The, the, newer the newer ones, the newer ones were, were yeah, Alvin and a chipmunk who yeah. try to yeah. try to fuck with them when um, when the priestess was there. Yeah, the newer ones were the three crackers. Yeah. But the, oh my god. <laughs> but the skeletons were old crackers who'd been trying to get. Oh to, my god. Yes, who'd been trying to get to the um. What do you call it? Look, look. This just drove to say white people. We already noticed if you're listening to this show, you know, and you consider yourself. Uh, smart. You don't consider whatever. yourself a saltine. Yeah, you ain't a <laughs> We're not talking about you. Yeah, I mean, but you know, if you think you a cracker or you are a cracker, I'm definitely fucking talking to you. This is down south Houston Ben talking. Don't right ever now. get it twisted, baby. Third Ward. Yeah. You know, raise it. You know, love it. Um. So yeah, that's what that's about. That's why Letty is so shocked and seeing this body. He's like, "What the fuck?" Because they haven't figured out this whole wormhole situation because our elevator. It's suddenly there. You know, it's like there's a whole thing. There's a lot going on when they're under the center of the earth and everything. Yeah. But yeah, um, men centering themselves, little boy reading, journey to center of the earth. All of that was just on and popping. There's something else I wanted to mention about these, uh, about the men centering themselves. And the, oh, the whole adventure, right? Mm-hmm. You have this whole uh, Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones adventure. It references uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade very heavily, which is the one where Indiana and his father, Sean Connery, team up and go down into um, these tombs to get back the Holy Grail. And at one point, they have to take this leap of faith where the bridge is invisible. And it's much like the bridge that they go over in this episode, except the bridge is completely invisible and it was the complete you know, Christian leap of faith. Because the whole thing is very Christian. They're obviously going after the Holy Grail and all that. So it's a Christian leap of faith. But they still have to make this leap of faith in this episode when he leaps over. You know, they have to trust Letty. It's, I mean, several leaps of faith in this whole thing, referencing the Indiana Jones. I felt like Goonies was heavy referenced on this episode as well. When they came up into the treasure room with the dead shorty, uh, I mean, I've hit dead day um, with dead Yahima. And there's all of the rest of the Taino people gathered around and it's like they're having this feast. And now it's just like in Goonies when they're on the boat and the pirate ship and there's all these bodies and they're all sitting around all their treasure and whatnot. And so, like we said, we have these, you know, references to Indiana Jones. We had the references to the Goonies. Mm-hmm. You also got references to the Mummy. And for those who haven't seen the Mummy, I love the Mummy because the Mummy is another one of them joints. Like Brendan Fraser is the star of the Mummy, but he's an idiot in the movie, <laughs> you know, and does not really know what's going on. He's like a whack Indiana Jones, and it's the woman who completely saves the day every time in that film. And it's, you know, it was so, intentionally done that way. Yeah, so that's, so that's the influence for this episode. Yeah, it was definitely an influence for this episode and the goofiness of the mummy. I mean, there were some points in this episode, like when Yahima comes back to life and these fools don't run screaming out of the room. I was like, come on, what is going on here? Like they sat there and waited for her to, ma- <laughs> or they, to materialize. I was just like, wait a minute. Aren't y'all black? this goes back to the Ouija board conversation but they kept it black this whole time and then you're just like this is horror movie 101 back up like back up at least give her space grab that paper real quick and run out like it's time like just go 
Um, uh, yeah. But I just want to talk about the brutality. Uh, so we, we talk about it a bit, like the brutality of the like con- conquerors and conquistadors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's a system that they like perfected, and it's yes. kind of it's a mirror to the system that of uh, white supremacy that has been perfected in the U.S. and all the lynching and stuff that's going on during this period that Atticus and Letty and them are all living through right now. So a lot of this like horror that they're having about like being black in the u.s is like it's just a mirror to all the horror that like Mm -hmm. all these indigenous people across the world have had to go through under white folk the whole time Mm. Mm -hmm. and speak about it and that's something i talk about all the time is that people don't understand this is how white supremacy affects the whole world worldwide and like even last week there was this whole debate about africans versus african-americans and it's just foolishness because that's all patriarchal white supremacy wants to do is to separate people into categories you are male or you are female. You are gay or you are straight. You are black or you are white. You are this or you are that. And so that way it made sure that everyone is separated into their distinct categories and they never realized that, like you said, Portia, it's a structure that is fucking everybody up at once. And it is diabolical. It's insidious. And it does not play around. And it's been perfected. And it's a system like... You Like I said, read a people's history of the United States, and it shows you how, again and again, every conquering society did that. They come in, attack, they get their asses shit, but then they, you know, coming from Europe with all these diseases and shit, these natives and these indigenous people have never seen, they get rubbed out, and then they come in and clean up. I think it was just really blatant here when um, Yahima talks about how Brathway says they're going to, like, put her, put them back with their people. Um, mm. and the way that they do that is by uniting them all in death. And it's yes. like, that is just, that is just brutality of white supremacy. Mm. And that's like the centerpiece, like talk about centering thing. This like centering the brutality of white supremacy is what this like yeah. series is basically doing. And also one last thing on that, to go back to uh, the vampirism and white supremacy is I never met people who were so hungry. That line. Yes. That was a huge oh line. That was God. a bar. That was a bar. Like I was just sitting there like, oh. Like, you know, I've never met a people who are so hungry that it's just like mm-hmm. and hunger of vampires, just un- of an insatiable thirst for for human. Yes. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As I'm saying, yo, how could you hate on this episode? Yo? <laughs> well, I, well, to be clear, I didn't to be clear, me saying that it was I thought it was goofy doesn't mean saying I didn't like the okay. episode. Like I, I still thought it was entertaining. Uh, Portia, just one last thing I wanted to write a point I wanted to write on that you keep mentioning. You mentioned brutality, brutality, uh, the violence of it back to the the title of the episode a history of violence um and just for you know those who've seen that as been mentioned is it's it's also essentially a story about a guy who who ran away from his violent thuggery past mm-hmm. um and, and you know try to cover it up but people, people but people find people <laughs> who really know who he is try to grab and pull him back yep. into it and and this continues to keep happening in this show because remember how we keep seeing people like Montrose and people like George, rest in peace, who know a lot more than they're putting on. And especially with Montrose tripping up with all this information he keeps giving. And then Letty and Atticus is like, wait a minute, how do you know that? And him, and then, and this show, first of all, that was funny as hell to me. Where every time Montrose would say, Oh yeah, in the thirty-four lives, like he would just slip up and say some real pertinent information, and then everyone would be like, "Well, nigga, what, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, how do you know that?" And then he would sit there and get the lamest lie and be like, "Oh, I just read it in a book." Like, no, nigga, you know what's going on. But it wasn't like he was just—he was just like lying and lamely. Like he was saying it in a way that's like condescending. Like, don't y'all he read? was saying like you. 
but he was doing that reverse psychology type line when it's just like like for example if 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 you have a, a an anniversary and you and you you know you forgot the anniversary and your partner comes to you and say yo you know what today is and yeah and you go of course i know what today is. don't you know what today is and you know dead ass that you did not remember anything like you just stay lying but the, the reason why i mentioned that again like i said people continuously in the series particularly members of the family knowing more than they're putting on and being people they have a past they have a history and they and and just similar to that history of violence movie perhaps these Montrose is is someone else because or someone something more than what he says he is because at the very end he ends up killing yaima mm-hmm. and not just some oh i'm trying to make this like an accident straight up close the door slit their throat in very execution style very mob style type of approach so i was just like for him to just be able to do that so brazenly and without any fear i thought okay there's something more to to what Montrose is up to and also what he knows in his whole past mm. i didn't also, yeah. i just i just didn't think of it as Montrose being another person i thought it was Montrose being very like he thinks that he's the only one who has the answers so he's mm-hmm. going to act in the way that he mm-hmm. thinks he should act. And yep. he's going to assume yep. that they that should too. just go however he says they should go. Because he's the one who has all the answers. Dumbass man. Uh, <laughs> Montrose is like, you know, Thanos to me right now. He's like Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. Where mm. he's like, no temptation. You know, we won't use his magic. Nope. None of that. Nope. Cut the throat. Burn the book. I'm an idiot. But again, Yaima could potentially read the, the I, language of I, Adam I for an them idiot. and all this stuff. That, you know? <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't understand why, like, okay. I'm an idiot. But they, they also, the, the, another note that I wanted to make is Yaima is made into a siren by the Brathwaite. Yes. So mm-hmm. Yaima can only communicate honestly with Atticus or someone else who knows the language of Adam. So yep. that could be a reasoning behind Montrose yeah. killing mm-hmm. them. Did, could be that he did, doesn't want Yahima to fall in the hands of other sons of Adam that can pull their knowledge but i think it's a really dumb measure because there's yes if you were a skeleton and you saw that the skeleton re-embody themselves you (laughs) think that you're just slitting them through is going to make them die for like for centuries that skeleton's been sitting there in that freaking Mm -hmm. tomb you think just once i don't think it's done i hope not um because i'm just like that's a a fucked up way to go out like that's 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 weak as hell way to go out like you come back from after all that just to get slit in your throat by montrose freeman like no uh (laughs) montrose freeman who sings songs to forget about his wife uh um (laughs) and as an aside i just thought i just thought how it was just so interesting how shook they were when yaima was coming to life enough that they wouldn't move yet when yaima went all uh black canary on them Somehow, Atticus says, "Time to steal you in the face, yeah, like I mean, just straight up <laughs> cold clocker." Them, I, I, I laughed. So that's why, again, when I said it was goofy, it was just stuff that was happening where I was just like, "Ah, yeah, like this." It was great. It, it, it was interesting. Um, um yeah. wrapping up this episode, uh, one thing that we did notice before people pointed out to us is. Your boy shows up again. Your boy Emmett. Don't say your boy. That's so disrespectful. You talk about Emmett too. I mean, you know the homie. But don't say Ben. I know. I mean, there's no way to say it without being disrespectful. What? You can literally just say his name. You can literally say his name. He was trying to say Emmett Till actually showed up again. Yes, a lot. Not a lot of people. A couple people who I feel feel like 
No, if it was a lot after the fact. It wasn't yes. a lot before the episode aired no, or, or the day the episode aired. It yeah. was people who went online, yeah. Googled, and it was like, oh, y'all missed one out of 5,000. So Emmett Till, yes, does show up again. Apparently, we found out that his childhood name was Bobo. Um, and that's another reason why we didn't even catch that at all. Um, I, I so this is I didn't note it in the notes, but I noted it in my notes whenever it happens. Mm-hmm. So I was like, is this is this post? I thought Emmett but I was like, nah, that can't only because I heard Bubba, and I didn't have subtitles oh, on, so I heard Bubba, and I didn't think. But it's clearly about Bobo it. in this episode, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh shoot! Whenever I saw people bring it up, I was like, well, dang it! I heard yeah. the wrong name. But but once again, I, I, I the people who. Most of the people, except for one, but most of, there was one person where everyone was sourcing that from. There was yeah. one tweet mm-hmm. that night of the episode that revealed that. Yeah. And it was like, oh, wow, that was huge. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the day later, everybody come out. Everybody. The like, y'all missed one. Like, okay, relax, y'all. <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, uh, uh, Emmett Till is in the story, which is what a, what a choice to make. Uh, and, and to have them and have Emmett be friends with D, mm-hmm. uh, the daughter. Like, that's wow. I hope it. <sighs> It's kind of like I'm of both minds. I hope it pays off. I hope it's not just to be some kind of one note aside, but I also kind of don't want it to be a big thing. It's going to pay off in the way that we don't want it to. I, I mean, feel. technically it did. The ghost said that you're not going to have a good time. All right, but yeah. I don't know. I Because, no, you know, like in the how the structure of the book, we're gonna, we know we're going to get an episode where D is kind of the center character of the episode. And I don't know if I want... The Emmett Till's, Emmett Till's death, yeah, affecting it. I, th- I, I think we can expect that and look, you know, because I mean, it's just something you can't avoid at this point. And this show is about talking. If you wanted to talk about racism, all of it. There we go. It's a so, period piece. There we go, folks. Uh, thank you for joining us here on this episode of the Safe Negro Podcast Show. As we said, if you want to get one of our T-shirts, you can mm-hmm. pick it up on tpublic.com/slash. For all nerds, I mean, do we yeah. Want to some of the music just, just real, quick, real quick, before you get out of here? real quick, because because that we've been doing this like the whole time, so I'm gonna sure make sure we mention the music real quick, uh, or, or most of the music that we heard. Um, Ma Rainey's Chain Gang Blues, who was sung by Ruby when she was drunk as a skunk at the bar. Uh, I put in Spell on You cover yep. by Marilyn Manson, which is re- written by Screaming Screaming Jay Hawkins. Shout out Screaming Jay Hawkins. The original of I Put a Spell on You is sampled by Biggie for Kicking the Door. Bum, 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 bum. Mm. Yeah, it's a sample of Kicking the Door. And that's played while uh, William is laying down that pipe on Ruby on the stairs. Mm. So I put a spell on you, very obvious. And that's why I was just like, is that a magic spell or is Maybe. that real? It's Maybe. a vitamin okay. D. Yep. <laughs> uh, bitch Better Have My Money by Rihanna, which plays when Ruby goes into the department store. And- no. no oh, excuse me. No, that was no. money. Yeah. Bitch better have my money. It was when Christina was riding, whipping, whipping, <laughs> whipping the work whipping. through that beautiful car. Beautiful. And then money by LaKaylee 47 was yes. what was playing when Ruby walked into the department store. And there is one last one that if you give me a second, I can pull up. Since everybody want to know all the songs. And like I said, I, both of us tried to find the speech at the beginning of the episode and that did not happen. Yeah, I think that was I think that was more like a yeah, just I think it's bits like and pieces that they put together. Yeah. Yeah. Like when they I just know. think it was an approximation of what that typical Cold War type propaganda commercial would sound like. There we go. Get him by Jay Josephine is playing when Letty walks into the library looking for Atticus. She gonna go <laughs> she get him. She was stomping in that yeah, bitch. Yeah, she gonna go get him. <laughs> she gonna go find him. 
And also, I love that little boy who was reading Journey to yeah. the Nerve. Oh my that God. Oh, yeah, time to be quiet. Library goals. He was just like, look, I came here for a reason. Do you know how many yeah. kids at my mama's house? Uh uh-uh. uh. Mm-hmm. 